0: Exodus thirty-two. I'll tell you what, what what's up? Yeah, I was going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you saw the movie, you did. Okay, let's talk about it here in just a minute. Let me pray real quick, okay? Let me pray for us, and we're going to talk about something interesting here. Father, thank you for our time together. Uh, praying, God, that you bless our our uh, understanding as far as Moses interceding for the people. Uh, the heart of Yahweh in relation to His chosen ones. And uh, Father, especially uh, as we see discipline meted out and uh, asking, Lord, for a greater understanding of Your person and Your character in the midst of all of this. Um, Discipline is never pleasant to the one that's being disciplined, uh, but we are told in Hebrews that later on it yields a fruitful harvest. Uh, and Lord, that is the promise that we've been waiting for um, to the end when all of Israel will be saved. So, Father, help us uh, in this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, a movie that is out, special selection showing in theaters. I think the next one is um, the 19th, is what it is. I think the closest place to go see it is Manitowoc. And what's the name of it? The Moses Controversy? Something like that. Pattern of evidence is the. Um, main title and i think the moses controversy is the specialized film uh steve went and saw it yesterday and, and what did you think of it what was it was it okay 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 so now is the, the film against the arguments that try to disprove the bible or is it for okay Hmm. okay Okay, So Steve is saying that this movie, The Moses Controversy, is uh, talking about uh, the probabilities of God getting involved in history and allowing for Moses to write the first five books of the Old Testament. For those of you that don't know, the first five books of the Old Testament are the most criticized uh, of, of, any, of, of any piece of literature I've ever seen in my life trying to discredit it. And this is what comes from a school that's known as, you've maybe heard of it, Higher Criticism. Has anybody heard of Higher Criticism? Okay, Uh, I've talked with you guys about the four-volume set called The Fundamentals. Everybody remember we talked about that? In 1917, when this came out, and it was actually funded by two Christian businessmen because they were seeing liberalism starting to come into Orthodox Christianity and trying to get it off of the foundation of the Bible is being inspired and inerrant. Well, volume one, uh, chapter one, talk number one is, What is Higher Criticism? And it deals with the history of higher criticism and how all these people have formulated these ideas as to why Moses could have never possibly have written the first five books of the Old Testament. And so their argument is, is yes, he did, uh, uh, and they and they go through and they talk about all the schools, the German school, the British-American uh, schools that were working together in higher criticism, which actually ended up being more conservative. Has anybody ever heard of Wellhausian liberalism? Anybody ever heard of that? Wow, okay, great. Well, these are all really nerdy things. Uh, uh, there's this belief, and Deuteronomy's one of the major players too. There's this belief by a guy named Wellhausen that he came out with Uh, He popularized what's called the J.D.E.P. theory. Has anybody ever heard of that, J.D.E.P.? Okay, the idea is, is that there's no way that Genesis could have been written by Moses. It was actually written way closer to the time of Jesus. And there's no way that Deuteronomy could have been written at the time that it was especially. It had to have been way further up past the time of the kings. And the reason why they say this is because there was a period of time in the history of Israel where the law was gone. Nobody was abiding by it. And by one priest sorting through the temple, he actually came across the documentation of the law of God and brought it to light to King Josiah at that time. Well, this changed everything as far as the culture uh, uh, that Israel was concerned with. And it flipped everything, and they actually had a period of revival because they were obeying God's word again. Well, well came in and said, no, whenever they found that, they actually, at that time, that's when they wrote Deuteronomy. It wasn't written at the time of Moses right before they crossed over. One of the big reasons why they give it is because the last chapter of Deuteronomy documents Moses' death. How could Moses have documented his own death? Now, real quick, who succeeded Moses? Joshua. Is there anything to say that Joshua couldn't have grabbed this and filled that in? Because he wrote, joshua everybody see that so it's important for us to see how those things flow together so liberal scholars for years it's not a new thing that people have been dealing with for years have been trying to come against this idea of attacking the the veracity and integrity of the bible uh and guys it just doesn't float some of you have have, have purchased copies of the fundamentals set i encourage you to read them you have to read them a little slow it's a little heady reading uh but but it's not anything that you can't handle uh, it's not anything that's not vitally important to understand about how people want to attack the Bible. And, and man, I'm seeing this all the time. Just real quick, let me draw attention to this. She's going to hate this. This is my friend Elizabeth right here. <laughs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth uh, was a member for years at the church that I came from and she lives in Nashville now and she's up visiting for this weekend. We have friends, numerous Friends that we served with, prayed with, worshipped with, studied with, that have just fallen off the face of the earth as far as their relationship with Christ is concerned. And by and large, all the time, and correct me if I'm wrong, one of the biggest things that ends up happening is is they are trying to find ways to disprove the Scriptures, am I right? Every time. And here's the reason why. Because you have to deal with the Bible. You have to. And you either have to accept it that it is the written word for what it says and it really is God speaking into history, or you have to find some way to discredit it and dismantle it and rationalize it and get it away from you so that you no longer are experiencing conviction for your sin and the fact that you're answerable to a creator. Every time. Every time. Conviction looks like apathy. That's what it looks like. It looks like uh, hatred. It looks like anger. And it all comes down to this book. Anybody ever got upset about Cinderella lately? Why is that? Because it's not true. It's a story. But has anybody noticed that when you find an atheist, and you want to talk to them about the truth of God's word, they are livid. They are lit up. A lot of them actually become violent. Have you ever noticed that? Well, if God's not real and it's just a book, why are you so upset? Do you love me so much that I believe it and you're so upset about me? Notice there's no good reason, but there's a lot of demonic influence there. It's important that we see that there's something way beyond the natural happening into the supernatural. So, um, this movie's good, you'd recommend it? Okay. I think the only other showing that they're having of it, uh, like I said earlier, is on the 19th. Uh, And the closest theater, I think, was Manitowoc. Where would you see it? Okay, so they were playing it there. They might be playing it again. I didn't see it on the website that that was a place they were playing it, but maybe they'll play it in sun prayer again. But if you're interested, I think it's called the Moses uh, Controversy, and the the, the heading, the the, the main title of the series, I think, that they're trying to put out is called Pattern of Evidence is what it is. So if you're interested, you can. It's worth a Google. So, okay, so it's a series of, of stuff, yeah it's it's definitely looking into and again if you have the fundamentals or if you're able to get online maybe you can look up the fundamentals i think part of it is public domain now uh to look at but look up you know what is higher criticism and those types of things we're going to be dealing with higher criticism in a a couple of lessons in hermeneutics class and i've got some pretty heavy information for you guys so it'll be good uh anybody got anything before we start we jump in here we're in exodus 32 okay exodus 32 they decided that they were going to rise up and play. Everybody remember this? We don't know what's happened to Moses. He's up on the side of the mountain. Make for us a God. Aaron said, give me all your gold. He put it all together in the fire and somehow a calf of gold jumped out of it. Everybody remember that? That was his excuse. Now, doesn't that just sound like a kid lying to your face? It just does, doesn't it? It's terrible. Uh let me let me give you this real quick. I think this is interesting. Whenever Moses, or sorry, whenever Paul is giving a warning to the Corinthians about how they're living their lives, and he actually draws back to Old Testament examples uh, about, about uh being aware of what God did in relation to people who were in patterns of rebellion or whatever that was in the Old Testament. He actually says this. He says, Uh, let's see here Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. He actually refers back to this golden calf incident. And real quick, if you look at verse 25, Exodus thirty-two twenty-five. now when Moses saw the people were out of control, anybody got a different translation than the NASB? What do you have, Bobby? Running wild. It sounds like Florida, doesn't it? We're coming up on spring break weekend. Were the people of Israel on spring break? Is that the problem here? Pretty much is what it was. Anybody else got a different translation? They're what? Broken loose. That sounds like cattle, doesn't it? Broken loose. Anybody got the King James? King James translation says they were naked, is the idea. They were, for some reason... The Bible always wants to associate together, to tie together the idea of eating and drinking and probably drinking way too much and eating way too much. And then all of a sudden, everybody wants to start taking their clothes off. I don't know why this was the way people did things in the Middle East, but it got them in a lot of trouble. And let's be honest, guys. Our culture today is not any different. It's not. And that doesn't just happen in Madison, but not here. Let's be honest, guys. I mean, people if it's if it's not us doing it ourselves it's us clicking on it on the internet i mean it's everywhere now people getting involved in all that stuff what's that mount olympus go to mount olympus well they're swimming so we'll give them a pass but so notice they're out of control for aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies what is a derision good grief what what a good word we got shame wow what does that mean? Do we know? What does that mean? I mean, think about it. Moses is gone. Everybody starts going crazy after 40 days. We're worshiping this golden calf. We're dancing around. We're eating all kinds of fun stuff. We're drinking all kinds of fun stuff. Hey, everybody's losing their clothes. What in the world's going on here? And notice what it says here. They got out. Of, Aaron let them get out of control. He was supposed to watch. To be a derision among their enemies. What does that mean? what's it what's that say yours Bobby. me they were a laughing stock they're acting like us mockery is the idea remember go ahead and mock them yeah i left my phone in my office there is a if you have netflix there is a documentary on netflix uh it's narrated by uh helena bonham carter and uh night will fall i think it's what it's called maybe and what it was, was it was a documentary of whenever the Americans uh, and, and the British went into the Nazi camps at the end of World War II, and that they were filtering through all of the gas chambers and the ditches of bodies and those types of things, and they were actually putting the Nazis to work to help take care of the dead, and it is a sad scene. Uh, they actually hired Stanley Kubrick to come in and, and, and do some of the film work and directing of it, and they were putting it all together in order to show to, the, to uh, uh, America and to England about what had actually been going on over there so that they would have some sort of, sort of sober realization of how serious uh, the persecution and stuff was, and then all of a sudden somebody put it on a shelf, and it wasn't dug out until a few years ago. Uh, it was cleaned up a little bit, added some narration over the top of it, and, and now it's about an hour and a half long, an hour and 20 minutes long. Uh, you need a strong stomach to watch it. But I tell you what, it, it, it's it, it's incredible to see um, the fierce capacity of evil that a human being has. Jamie, what are you? It's on Prime, too. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it on Prime Video. Uh, it's called Night Will Fall. Is that correct, Night Will Fall? Yeah. If you want to watch it, it's it's very interesting, and, and I think it's even got some documentary section on it. Will tell you how the movie finally came to completion because the army used to hire guys that would come in, and all they did was film. Uh, they were considered officers in the military, but they carried around a camera, and that's what they did. So it's 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 um, it's heartbreaking to see some of that stuff. Uh, so the idea, the, the the whole idea here is the fact that they become a derision to their enemies. Remember. Yahweh's great exercise of his power was flipping Egypt like a pancake. Egypt dominated everything. And in comes Yahweh. I mean, think about it. Moses comes back. He's got this staff and he's looking all weird. Yahweh says, let my people go. And you know, Pharaoh was like, who is this guy? What in the world does he think that he's doing? Marching in here and demanding the release of everybody who's giving us an excellent life. No, we're not going to let these people go. And next thing you know, God starts dismantling every one of their little g-gods. And then he sets the people free. So having set them free and leading them out, now has it come to this? Has it come to the people, cast off all restraint, and we just decided we're going to go crazy and have some kind of sand-laden orgy that happens, and next thing you know, God's going to have to kill them all out of discipline? Is this what's what's going to happen? He led them out, but he wasn't able to keep them. He got so mad with them, he killed them. I mean, this is the whole thing that Moses was interceding on the edge of the mountain before he ever descended down with the Ten Commandments. And remember, he broke them. Yes? Everybody remember that? Breaking the conditional covenant, if you will obey me, then I will provide for you. That's what made it different from the Abrahamic covenant. He ground up what they worship, put it in the water, and made them all drink it. It gets worse. Verse 26, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered to them. Now, here's the mistake we may make if we were reading this. We would think that he makes this announcement, and the only people of the of the tribes of Israel that responded were the house of Levi. That's not the idea. Who's the Messiah come through? Judah. Okay? So let's let's not let our minds go, oh my gosh, only the Levites responded. What in the world's gonna to happen to all the rest of the people? No. He called for this. And then the Levites, as the priests unto God, came alongside him because they were going to meet out the execution that had been demanded because of people who loved their idolatry more than they did Yahweh. So the Levites are stepping up with execution in mind for the people who wanted to stay in their wayward sin and their idolatry and not repent and instead return to Yahweh. It's not that they're the only tribe that responded. Look at verse 27. He said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, Every man of you, put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp. Does anybody know what that means? Go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp. It's the idea of checking over here and checking over here. Coming over here to see what's going on. It's, It's the idea of filtering through. And what you're searching for are people who are committed to this idolatry And you're searching for people who are genuinely sorrowful and repentant because of what has happened, and instead of crying out for Yahweh to deliver them from the situation. This idea also happened in Ezekiel chapter 6. Ezekiel actually calls uh, executioners together. Uh, There's six of them with massive uh, axes, is what they have. And they have one guy that's a scribe. And the city is so rampant in idolatry at that moment. But this guy comes over and he puts a mark on the forehead of all the people who are grieving over the sin of their community. And those people are spared. The people who have the marks on their foreheads, everybody get revelation on this one, right? But notice the people who have that mark on their forehead, they're spared. The people that don't, the executioners come behind the scribe who's marking their heads and they kill them. And here's the reason why. God will not tolerate unrepentant sin in this day and age we think we get away with it we don't he's doing things far beyond what we could possibly understand in order to spank us in fact some of what he does to spank us is just let us keep doing what we do we think that's where the satisfying uh source of everything is then great live that life and notice that you'll feel a vacancy where god is it's crazy it's amazing I I don't know about you. You ever known that somebody's going to jump out and scare you? You just wish they would do it and get it over with, okay? All right? Just just jump out and scare me. There's an active wrath of God, and there's a passive wrath of God. The active wrath is Him bringing down fire, or sending in an army of people to slaughter, or whatever it is like that. And He is disciplining and dealing with it at that moment. The passive wrath is saying, "You know what? I'm just going to pull my hand back and let them do what they do." That's Romans chapter one. That is frightening. That is frightening to think that, yeah, you're left up to your own vices because you neither honored God nor thanked God. You knew He was there, but you refused to acknowledge Him. Scary place. So moving on here. Uh, Go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp. And kill every man his brother, and every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. 3,000 people. After seeing this incident, Moses coming down, started cleaning house, making them drink of this idle water, I mean, I don't know what we want to call it, 3,000 people said, no, I don't think I'm going to serve Yahweh after all I've seen him do. I think I'm going to worship this calf that you've just destroyed in front of my eyes. Scary place. What? Good. No, no. Uh, In this case, it seems like that the whole tribe of Levi didn't capitulate. Uh, Well, I mean, they're in the desert. Where are they going to go? I mean, see, that's the thing is, if we sit here and try to mentally think through, well, what in the world did a picture look like that? I can imagine some guy running for his life. But can you imagine clinging to a false god so much that you're running for your life that you don't get killed? It seems like the, the reasonable thing would be stop, repent, and worship Yahweh and realize that whatever you're holding to be true is garbage in his sight, you know? But is that not the hard-heartedness of people? I would much rather run away and risk the possibility of getting killed to hold fast to something that is significantly less than the Lord of glory. I don't know. Probably about 2 million people, yeah. Only 3,000 died because they refused to repent from their idolatry. Uh, it sounds like when Moses came down and started laying everybody straight, there was a lot of repentance that was going on. But the people who persisted after that opportunity, those are the people that were executed. In fact, it seems to be that there might have been more that weren't readily evident as they were going back and forth through the camp. We'll see that at the end of this. Notice what it says, verse twenty nine. that Moses said, "Dedicate yourselves, excuse me, dedicate yourselves today to Yahweh." Anybody got something different besides dedicate? consecrate, set apart, pursue holiness. I don't know about you, but I'll go ahead and make this parallel. I think the American church has got a massive holiness problem. I don't think we have a clue what it is to truly commune with God. I think we're so scared to death to talk about God's active experience and activity in our lives because we're afraid we're going to become charismatic if we do. And that fear of the supernatural actively working in our life hinders us from depending on him to be the difference he's the same God who spoke the world into existence we haven't changed God somewhere along the way he's the same God that wants to be intimately involved and to do amazing things to where we step back and we say there's no way this could have happened except God was working through me consecrate yourselves let me ask you a question what today would it look like for the church to consecrate itself now we're talking about people that are already fully accepted because the blood of jesus has bought them full and free in salvation so they're already justified but when we talk about the word sanctification it's from the greek word hagios it's the same idea where we get holy from setting yourself apart notice that moses is calling these people consecrate yourselves set yourselves apart what does it look like today for the church to set themselves apart homeschooling (laughs) Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Not being involved in silly arguments, and she dared say politically. Not being involved in silly arguments. You ever notice there's a bunch of junk that takes up our time? You ever sit down with the junk and you were amazed at how much time went by? Guess what? Get rid of the junk. How do you know you need to get rid of it? Because it's junk. See what I'm saying? We know. It's not like we don't know. What does it look like for the church to consecrate itself? What does it look like for a pursuit of personal holiness? This was something that was desperately on the heart of A.W. Tozer all the way up until his dying day. And he's got some lordship, you need to commit yourself to Jesus kind of things going on there. Uh, Lordship salvation is completely wrong. Lordship sanctification is everything the Bible preaches that we would come to the recognition that God's Word is so true that Jesus needs to be Lord of our lives and daily practice all the time, moment by moment. Yes, absolutely. Not to be saved, but because we already are saved and God desires to do God things through us. So we're talking about the progression. What does it look like for the church to consecrate itself? Why don't we want to answer this question? Because we might have to do it. Let's be honest. And, and if I'm, If I'm wrong here, say you're wrong okay could it be the reason why sometimes we don't want to readily answer this question is because we're afraid we're gonna have to do it why are we so scared that god would ask something of us i mean is it because he's mean? failure we're trusting god in it we're not failing are we yeah how many people did jeremiah win to the lord in his ministry you might know zero none not one person and here's what kills me God said, Jeremiah, go preach to these people. Okay, Lord. Oh, by the way, before you go, no one's going to listen to you. Now, is that highly successful encouragement or what? Well, let me ask you this. Would you consider Jeremiah a failure? No. Say it. No. His success was never based on numbers. His success was based on, did he do what God said? That's the difference. We get very pragmatic about how we judge Christianity today. Man, it ain't about that. Are you doing what God told you to do? That's the question. That's how you gauge whether or not you're successful in your Christian life. It's not how many people you've won to the Lord. You don't win them to the Lord. You tell them about the Lord. And when they believe, the Lord won them. It's not about what you and I are trying to make happen there. It's just simply about what has God said. Now, what am I going to do? That's it. The Lord is not some crazy black-bearded ogre with an eye patch that lives up on a mountain somewhere in a high castle holding damsels in distress. Anything that he would ever ask of you and me is always good and it's always right. Notice I didn't say easy and fun. We've had enough easy and fun in our life. I'm talking about things that are good and right. What does it look like for the church to consecrate itself? If God is calling Israel, now you've gone through this bout of horrible sin, this is awful. Consecrate yourselves to me. Obedience? Yes, that is the that is a very general umbrella, but you are correct. Okay? Right. Until Chuck brought up a good point. He said in this day and age, what seems to be the problem is there's no motive motivation from the spirit. We're not submitting ourselves in a position of saying, Lord, use me. Because all of a sudden it doesn't become about the grocery list of whether or not I'm loving my neighbor as myself and whether or not any uh, uh, idle talk or coarse jesting is coming out of my mouth and whether or not I'm stealing anything and instead use my hands to do things that are work, you know, worthwhile and edifying for other people like that. And we have like a laundry list in Paul's letters about what is good and what is bad and what we keep and what we don't keep. And all of a sudden we're like this all the time in our Christian life. You know what that's called? fleshly fleshly living that's legalism trying to be accepted yes not fearing trying to tell somebody sure 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 fear yeah fear getting fired how do we deal with that notice we're just talking about basic obedience things how do we deal with fear Did god give us a spirit of fear Okay? So we all need to go cliff jumping or something? I'm egging you on. Not in faith. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe what God's really said? Okay? 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of what? Power? Hold it! stop. Power? We really believe that? Where's the power come from? The Spirit. Notice that. Not from us. Because what do we do? Lord, there's no way I could share with my friends. I guarantee you the Lord's going, You're right! You can't! But I can through you. Exactly. 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 Yes. And here's what you, here's what you find. You don't have to force it either. You don't have to force it. You, probably none of you are going to know this, maybe some of you that are younger. Anybody ever heard of a band called Sunday Day Real Estate? Anybody ever heard of this band? They're from Seattle, okay. I went to go see them years ago, year 2000, okay? And the band had broke up for a little while because the the lead singer became a Christian. And so they broke up for a little bit, and then they got back together and decided they are going to play some shows. Well, me, whenever I would go to a show, I would always, after I had my ticket, I would walk around back of the venue and see if I could talk to anybody coming out and then going to the bus. So I have this picture, skinny little me, my hair is all dyed black, goatee going on like this, got my coat on. And I'm sitting there with the, with the, the lead singer and I was talking to him and, uh, and, and, and I felt like I needed to force something with him. He's already a believer. I felt like I needed to force something. I said, so how's, how's that Christian thing going? Awkward. Not spirit-led at all. Why did I even need to bring it up at that point? For some reason, I'm forcing myself into a conversation like that. And you could tell, he looked at me, he's like, it's going really good. You know, but it was just like, wow, dude, you're weird. (laughs) Sometimes the reason why people think that we're weird is because we bring that weirdness on ourselves. We so pressure ourselves, I've got to say something about Jesus before it ends. Bless you. We've got a guy that's doing community service here at the church right now. Uh, He's got 40 hours to work off. He's already worked off about 10 hours of his community service here doing things. His name's Robert. And I'm just waiting for the door to open for the gospel. Not trying to force it. You know, told him, you know, I don't want you in church. Don't be here unless you want to be here. you know, Because I know any demands that I put on him are going to overshadow the grace of the gospel that fully accepts him if he believes in Christ. So you wait for that opportunity. You pray for the opportunity. You're asking for God to open the doors. You're letting God do the work. And then my prayer after that is always, and Lord, give me the smart sense to see when you're opening the doors because sometimes the doors are wide open. I'm just like, sure is a nice day out, right? And I miss it. I miss the opportunity. So yeah, don't get down on yourself. It's hard. Hmm? Absolutely. We don't save people. God saves people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody needs it. We got kids that are contemplating suicide all the time. We got people that are overdosing on drugs. They're all looking for fulfillment somewhere. But for some reason, the church has given such a bad name to Jesus' grace. It's almost like we got a lot of makeup work to do so that people realize, well, we're not like that. How many of you at one point in your life ever went to a church? That you didn't want to invite people to. Oh yeah, you should go to church over there. Yeah, we've all been in that situation. How'd the church get like that? We're all reading from the same Bible. How did we all get in that boat? Everybody see how messed up everything has become? It really has. And I guarantee you, a lot of it's because we try to put our hands all over our Christianity instead of trusting. Jesus, somebody came up and talked to me a little bit ago. They said, man, I just keep falling into this sin, this situation. What do I do? I said, stop trying. Stop trying to be a better person. Stop. We will never be better people. We do not have the power in ourselves to be better people. The only way we become better people is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not, well, do better with your flesh and make sure you're not acting like that. And Well, you don't want to say those words. That is a schizophrenic living. If Jesus is everything that we need, then guess what? He can be everything we need living life. Everything. Everything. We just need to believe him. Get out of his way. Trust that he's going to do it. Put our thoughts on Jesus and not how we're doing or how we're not doing or if we treated that person right or if we didn't treat that. We get so worried about being Christian that we don't realize that we are Christian. You see what I'm saying? It's almost like it's a, it's a mask we've got to put on and act a certain way for sometimes. It's, it's not. Our Savior's powerful enough to do that. He's given us everything we need to do that. So that's a good conversation, but let's go back. What does it look like for the church to consecrate itself? Church needs a healthy fear of the Lord. Man, that's a good answer. Good answer. We're actually out of time. I want to keep talking about this. There ain't no Packers game. We can keep talking about it, right, Jamie? What was the physical action that they did to consecrate themselves? How about that be our homework for next week? Well, I would say that the best, probably one of the best places to go to see what does a vibrant church look like. is Acts chapter two, In thirty-seven. Acts chapter two, verse thirty-seven. Their hearts are pierced, pricked. Prodded by hearing the word, which in my book, that means that they believed, they responded with the gospel. And then Peter commands them to be baptized. First act of obedience. And from then on, you have a church like you've never seen before or since. It's incredible what those people were doing. Another good example would be to look at the uh, church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, Jesus' divine evaluation. You've lost your first love. What in the world does that mean, lost your first love? Everybody automatically jumps on the fact that they didn't love Jesus. I think it's something else besides that. But we need to look at it. You need to study and think through it. See, it's interesting thing is we have all the answers. We have all the answers. We have them all. But the question is, Is do we believe that God has given those, those, those answers so that our lives have been changed to implement those answers daily. They're answers for every day, not just Sunday. So that'd be a good homework assignment. What are some what are some things going on? What is it to consecrate ourselves to the Lord? We'll talk about that next week. It's good. Pray. Father, I pray that you give us understanding and guidance and illumination by your spirit in order to understand the divinely authored word what it is for us to be a consecrated people father give us wisdom in seeing it give us conviction in receiving it may the spirit bring it to the surface of our hearts that we must deal with it that we must be different people that we would seek personal holiness in our lives we pray in the name of christ our lord amen thank you everybody you could help move the chairs that would be greatly appreciated